hello, Chris. Hello, um, Gus. I worked really hard on the script for this supplemental episode of Black Box Down, mm-hmm. and uh, we just sat down and hit record. We're in person. We're, we're almost never in person to record these. And I just realized something. What? I forgot to write an intro. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna vamp here a little bit uh, about this uh, special supplemental episode of Black Box Down. So what I wanted to do was, you know, this is our last supplemental episode. This will be our last episode of Black Box Down, and I wanted to. You know, in these supplemental episodes, we always do things that are a little different. And in this episode, I wanted to kind of focus on a rising player in the aviation industry and kind of the future of where aviation is going. Me. (laughs) Chris. (laughs) (laughs) So when you think of airplane manufacturers, who Uh do you think of? Do do any come to mind when you think of like who actually makes airplanes? I mean, U.S. and Europe. Right. 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 Like Airbus and, and... Uh, it's on the tip of your tongue. I know. Uh, 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 Boeing. 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 Yeah, Airbus that was, and Boeing. I was like, the U.S. one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, commonly referred to as a duopoly, right? Uh-huh. Airbus uh, manufactures many planes. We've talked about both of these companies extensively. All of um, the big, you know, double-decker Airbus A380s, their most recent one. Well, kind of. Uh, they got the Airbus A350, the 320, like very ubiquitous planes. Boeing, of course, has... The 747, the 787, the 777, 737, all super ubiquitous planes. You see these planes everywhere all the time. There's a rising player coming up in the aviation industry called Comac. Comac. Uh, which, incidentally, it's kind of weird, right? ABC, Airbus, Boeing, Comac. Huh. That's a, it's, a, it's a little strange to me. Uh, Comac stands for the Commercial Aviation Corporation of China. And China. it's China's entry into making passenger aircraft trying to break up that duopoly of yeah. Airbus and Boeing and introduce a third player. So I thought it would be interesting for us this episode to talk about Comac, what's going on with that, what progress they've made. And also, again, this is a slightly weird episode. Chris and I had an opportunity to visit an air traffic control tower yeah. and see how everything works. So I figured once we talk about Comac, we'll, we'll wrap up talking about air traffic control and the things we learned on this special supplemental episode of Black Box Down. Okay, that was a mouthful. That was maybe our longest intro ever. Before we get into Comac, mm-hmm. very briefly, I, when I was putting all this together, I thought it might be good to just very briefly talk about Airbus and Boeing. Okay. Uh, the two big players, as it were. There are other manufacturers. I know some people may take exception to that. There's also, you know, like the Embraer, Bombardier, which is kind of Airbus now. Uh, and they make regional jets. We've yeah, talked about yeah, them so like, as well. For, for big, big, right, for big, big planes and mamas. Yeah, it's basically Airbus and Boeing. There's an old saying I know that people used to say, uh, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that may have changed a little bit after the 737 MAX, but uh, which we may touch on a little bit here. So Airbus itself is an interesting company. It, mm-hmm. Airbus was incorporated in 2000 through the merger of a French company called Aerospatiale, who you may remember as the makers of the Concorde, or one of the makers of the Concorde, mm-hmm. and a German company called DASA. But... The really the looking at the history of Airbus was really confusing. It's been like merger after merger, and all, all these different companies have over the years come together to make the Airbus that we know nowadays. Mm-hmm. Airbus was created to develop wide-body aircraft to compete with American-built airliners. Airbus's headquarters is in the Netherlands, but its head office is in France, and it has shares traded on stock markets in France, Germany, and Spain. As you can tell, this really is truly like. Uh, like a consolidation and a, of a true European yeah. aerospace industry, right? So if you go far enough back, there's the formation of Airbus Industry Consortium in 1970. So even though Airbus was incorporated in 2000, there's this predecessor that 
formed in 1970. Okay. And its product line started with the Airbus A300 in 1972, which was the world's first wide-body twin jet aircraft. So wide-body means it has, like, when you get on the plane, it's two aisles two instead aisle, of one. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it was the world's first wide-body twin jet aircraft. Remember, we talked about ETOPS before, which is... The, the, is it the three or four? Right. It was a certification that you had to have a, a minimum number of engines for yeah. a certain amount of time. That's why planes had three or four engines back in the 70s because they couldn't cross the Atlantic because if they lost an engine, they needed to have yeah. two. All those rules changed in 1976 when the ETOPS 90 rule was uh, introduced, which meant that legally a plane could operate on one engine for 90 minutes. So that's why planes went from four and three engines down to two, and the Airbus A300 kind of led that way. So the Airbus A300 could fly over oceans more efficiently because with two Two engines, you burn less fuel mm -hmm. than three or four engines. Just made sense. Yeah. Uh, building off of that success, they moved on to the A320 in 1987, which was a narrow-body plane that competes with the 737. And the Airbus A320 was the first commercial jet to use a fly-by-wire system, which means that it's all, like, computerized. Like, they move the control sticks, and it's not actually, like, actuating a hydraulic Letter, system yeah, yeah. or a manual it's, system. It's, right. It's a... Like, a computer, computer. interprets it. Right. It's a video game it's, type. It kind of is. And uh, Airbus also has an arm that designs aircraft for military purposes, as you might guess. Really, really big company. As of 2022, their sales were about 58.7 billion euros with a profit of 4.24 billion euros. So quite a lot of money. So uh, big company, huge milestones. They've made, you know, really significant changes in the aviation industry. So I want to talk about Boeing a little bit. I actually didn't know much about the history of Boeing, so this was particularly interesting to me and hopefully to some of our listeners. Boeing was actually founded in 1916 as the Pacific Aero Products Company. 19, that is it's wild. A, it's a long time ago. The, the Wright brothers were 1903. So this is yeah. 13 years after the first wow. flight. Boeing gets founded as Pacific Aero Products Company in 1916. It changed its name to Boeing Airplane Company in 1917. So a year later? Yeah. They were Aero Products, and then they became Airplane Company. Any guess as mm. to why they changed their name in 1917? World War One. World War One. <laughs> There's money to be made making uh, planes for war. <laughs> the founder was a man named William E. Boeing. Uh, he was a lumber industrialist. He made his money on lumber, and he saw a pl I think he saw a plane like in 1910 at an air show, and was uh -huh. like, "Wow, I want to make those." Well, that's cool. Yeah, that, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, out of wood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that's why you know he founded Boeing, and which also cool name. It is. Just gonna put that out. There. Boeing. Yeah. Imagine, there's there's probably people out there whose name is still Boeing. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. So you know we've we obviously we talked about you know commercial aircraft here. What do you think Boeing makes? Like if you had to say, Boeing makes this. Is it just like is the only thing you think of? Like I planes? think of planes. Yeah. Or like I would imagine stuff in the airplane industry. Yeah. They make. Airplanes, uh -huh. rotorcraft, which is helicopters, rockets, satellites, rockets. telecommunication equipment, and missiles. And missiles. It's kind of like rockets a, and missiles. I, I think of it kind of like a Stark Industries situation yeah. where it's like you, they make a lot of things. You I'm, make the things that make the things that you make go down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the third largest defense contractor in the world as of 2020. Whoa. Well, I guess that if they make like military military jets, jets and right. stuff, that's that's, those are expensive. Right. The two bigger defense contractors are Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies. Yeah. 
Boeing is also the largest exporter in the United States by dollar value, just because these planes are so, so expensive. expensive. Right. God, yeah, I, I didn't even think about like the, the military. Right. That, Those are so expensive. That's where they get you. That's why I don't buy any. <laughs> the payment plan's ridiculous. Yeah. On July 27th, 1928, the 12-passenger Boeing 80 biplane made its first flight. With three engines, it was Boeing's first plane built with the sole intention of being passenger transport. So 1928, they, they launched their first passenger transport plane. Um, an upgraded version, the 80A, carrying 18 passengers, made its first flight in September of 1929. In 1928, Boeing founded Boeing Airplane and Transport Corporation, and in 1929, renamed it to United Aircraft and Transport Corporation. And they bought several aircraft makers and airlines and they kind of like Consult, put them yeah. together. Yeah, consolidated them. In 1931, the group merged some of its airlines to make United Airlines. Oh. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, weird, what? right? <laughs> Boeing made United Airlines and it owned it for a while. And then why'd they split up? That's a perfect question because that's my <laughs> next sentence. In 1934, the Airmail Act prohibited airlines I, and manufacturers. I, 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 I was like, I feel like there was like a, a U.S. monopoly thing where they couldn't have all the distribution and, right. yeah, and the it's a little much. Yeah. So yeah, the Airmail Act prohibited airlines and manufacturers from being under the same corporate umbrella. So the company split up in a Boeing airplane company, United Airlines, and United Aircraft Corporation, uh, which eventually became United Technologies, which eventually merged into Raytheon in 2020. So that's weird. I didn't know that, that United Airlines was kind of started under Boeing and then had to spin off yeah. uh, from there. In 1996, Boeing began the process of merging with McDonnell Douglas, we've, another manufacturer we've talked about, completed that in 1997. Of course, we've talked about that, the Boeing 737 MAX that crashed in 2018 and 2019, which led to them mm -hmm. being grounded. As of 2022, their revenue was $66.6 .6 billion. In 2020, so two years before that number I just gave you, their defense revenue was $32 billion from being a defense contractor. 32? $32 billion. That's out, like, wait, and, out of $58.2 billion in 2020. So, like... More than half their more than half their money wow. came from the defense contractor side. Uh, their their overall revenue in uh, uh, 2022 was 66.6 .6 billion. I didn't see what their defense revenue was in 2022, but I assume it's still yeah quite a bit. Uh, that being said, they lost about five billion dollars. Uh, it doesn't look like they've turned a profit since 2018. What the max crashes have really affected their oh, profitability. Okay, and we're actually going to get into that. The reason I bring all this up is that kind of plays into Comac. Uh-huh. And so we're going to talk about Comac now. They haven't made money since 28. That, I just, that seems crazy to me, especially with like defense contracts, which seem so lucrative. But Well, if you think about the grounding of the Max yeah, I was guess, such a big deal and they couldn't sell them for a while, for a couple sell, of years. Yeah, yeah. And then also, again, planes are so expensive. Mm -hmm. So when you gr ground that many and then also the, you lose, yeah, okay. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. And remember, it's not just, and we're going to get into all of this in, in this episode, it's not just the sale of the plane. It's also the support and the supply chain and mm, everything yeah, else that goes yeah, into it. Yeah, there, it's, This is a very... Like once you get someone... Once someone buys a plane, they're yours. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. They definitely are. So Again, why I don't buy planes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I already get mad when I have to when I have to rent my uh, my equipment from my cable provider from my internet. It's like, just let me use my own modem. Um, okay, Comac. Comac. So the big question, of course, is why bother developing your own aircraft manufacturer instead of relying on Airbus and Boeing? China's domestic aviation market is the second largest in the world behind the United States. Oh. 40% of passenger aircraft in China are from Boeing, and 53% are from Airbus. So 
93% of their domestic aircraft market is from Airbus from, and Boeing. Yeah. In 2019, Boeing estimated that China is going to need about 8,090 aircraft over the next 20 years. That's, That's about a lot of planes. The market's about $2.9 trillion. How many planes do they currently have if, if they need that many more? Well, it's just the market is expanding and growing so rapidly. Uh-huh. Plus, they are... It's a big country, too. So it's like hard to move. You, it's like, I feel like in Europe, you can get around so much easier on like a train or, you know, like... Well, China actually has the most robust high-speed rail system That's in the right. World. They do, actually. Right. Yeah. I, I, and we're going to get into that okay, as well. Okay. We, we have a lot of layers to get through. Chris, I love transportation. Chris, I... I spent so long working on this script and doing all the research for this. Uh, we're going to get into so much transportation stuff uh, in this episode. So, like I said, they need a bunch of planes, mm-hmm. not, not only to expand and grow the market, but to replace aging planes as well. Uh, $2.9 trillion over the next 20 years. That is so much money, Chris. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, we want to put that money back into right. our economy rather right. than just, yeah. Spend it somewhere else. Okay. On top of that, um, Think about this. Uh, China's presidential plane is made by Boeing. Like a national, there's also a national yeah. pride aspect to play here. You know, Air Force One is a modified 747. Uh-huh. Most heads of state fly planes made by their country. Oh, or, oh, and they're like, hmm. And then on top of that, there was a bit of a controversy some time ago uh, because there was a secondhand Boeing 767 that was purchased for use by Zhang Zemin in 2000 in China. But in 2001, the government claimed that it discovered 27 bugs in the plane's interior. Bugs? Like listening devices. Oh, bugs. Right. I was like, okay, I, I, my, that was not what I thought at all. My, my head went two different places. One, I was like, like bugs? Like, no, like, we're, we're, talk, we're talking espionage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then my other thought was bugs is in like glitchy software. Oh, no, no, no. The I, other kind. Yeah, the yeah, third kind. The third kind. Which, you know, again... If you make, if your country makes your own plan, you don't worry about that as much. If you're importing it from someone who's an economic rival, then you have to worry about it. Yeah. How many bugs? 27. 27. That's a lot of bugs. So after that. Do they even know if they got them all? Right. So after that, they just started using a normal Air China Boeing 767. That way it's like, it's not a specific plane. They would just get one from Air China and use that. An Air China 747-400 series was used in the past. However, those were retired in 2020. That would make me mad. Sorry. I just, if you find out you're getting bugged like that. Right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, but these are the kind of things you have yeah. to worry about. A Boeing 747-8 series was converted and tested and used for head of state transport. I'm glad no one's secretly recording me. All my yep. recordings are right here. <laughs> so that's just like another wrinkle yeah. okay. to think about. In 2017, Boeing sold 202 planes to China. That was a quarter of its deliveries for that year. Airbus announced a deal uh, just last year in June of 2022 to sell 292 planes to Chinese airlines. And that deal was valued at $37 billion. So you hear all these big numbers, like you start to see, oh, this is why Mm -hmm. you want to make maybe have your own aircraft manufacturer. Uh, That being said, Boeing actually has a 737 completion and delivery plant in Zhoushan, China. uh, And Airbus has an assembly plant in Tianjin, China. So they do some work okay. in mainland China, but the bulk of the work is done in their home territories. So some, if, if you hear like that 2017 Boeing deal I gave you and some of these older Boeing quotes and figures, uh, well, they're from a few years ago because Boeing's been in a really uncomfortable place with China because Boeing orders were frozen after 2017 due to the economic 
trade war between the U.S. and mm. China that's been ongoing. Furthermore, then, you know, that, that happened in 2017. The max crashes happened in 2018, oh, 2019. Okay. So, yeah, now you now. It. So it's like this, maybe this is why Boeing is losing money and hasn't turned a profit since 2018. Yeah. Especially if like a quarter of their deliveries were going over there previously. And all of a sudden you just, you lose all of that. Right. Man. So you start to see where all of this is starting to come together and start to play together. Okay. All of that is just to set this up. Now we're really going to talk about COMAC. <laughs> COMAC, like I said, is the Commercial Aviation Corporation of China, was established May 11th, 2008. It was jointly established by a company called AVIC, which is the Aviation Industry of China and a few other manufacturing companies. AVIC itself was created in 1993 and was a state-owned company that was created to build components for military planes. In 1999, AVIC was split into two companies, AVIC-1 and AVIC-2. Uh, AVIC-1 focused on military and medium-sized aircraft. A AVIC-2 focused on transport aircraft and helicopters. Uh, eventually, AVIC-1 and AVIC-2 remerged in 2008. Splitting them up had just made redundancies and split resources. They were working on mm -hmm. similar projects and sharing resources. So it ended up not really being a good idea. I just thought, too, sorry, this is kind of mm -hmm. going back to the reasoning of why. If you not say that China's, like, planning on going to war, but, like, if you go to war with a country and you're also buying all of your your military planes from other countries that's kind of like yeah well they 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 develop their own military planes okay and and there are severe trade export restrictions on military technology from the united okay. states okay uh so like they couldn't buy you know planes from the united states okay like even some of the planes so like like modern i don't military is not my forte but i'll say like modern fighter planes like Boeing might make some for the United States and then they might make a different version for export that doesn't have all the same features mm. that the United States mm. ones have. So it's, uh, and then for countries like that are considered adversarial, they may not export anything at all. Mm. So they definitely have their own military technology and that's what AVIC was doing. They were making uh, parts for their military planes. Um, so that's kind of why, like I said, AVIC 1 and AVIC 2 remerged in 2008 and then COMAC was kind of spun off from AVIC at that point. Yeah. So even though like, these, these projects started under AVIC, but then got spun out uh, into COMAC in 2008. AVIC actually purchased an, uh, like a general aviation aircraft manufacturer called Cirrus in 2011. Uh -huh. These are very like high-end general aviation planes, like single-engine propeller planes. They're very, very nice. But more specialty type stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like a private, like someone like me, who's not like a commercial pilot. You don't sell tickets. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like someone who just like, well, likes to fly for fun might, might own a Cirrus. The reason COMAC was spun out was the thinking w was that it might make foreign companies more likely to do business with them since they weren't a military company, right? It's like, it would be weird if you're like, yeah, we're going to work with this company to make a passenger plane, but really they're owned by the military. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I get uh, it. It's just like kind of separating things a little bit, make it a little uh, more palatable. Right. So they, you know, COMAC was spun out and they were given this uh, program called uh, the ARJ program. It was the Advanced Regional Jet. It was, it was the first domestically, Chinese domestically produced plane that was going to be launched. And like we said earlier, like the dominant regional companies are really Embraer and maybe kind of Bombardier, uh, who we've talked about before. So in March of 2002, AVIC-1 launched the ARJ program, which was officially called the COMAC ARJ-21 Zhangfeng which means Soaring Phoenix. It's a cool name. It is. It's pretty cool. The plan was for the maiden flight to, like I said, so this launched in March 2002. The plan was for the maiden flight to happen in 2005 with commercial service starting in 2007. Of course, there were delays. 
The first prototype rolled out December 21st, 2007. It didn't make its flight till November 28th, 2008. It didn't receive certification till December 30th, 2014. Oh, wow. That's way late. It's a super long process. And then it was introduced by Chengdu Airlines on June 28th, 2016. Flying from Chengdu Shuanglu Airport uh, to Shanghai in two hours. So they wanted commercial service to start in 2007. It didn't make its first flight till 2016. So nine years late. Yeah. Not as bad as the Berlin airport, <laughs> but still late. Uh, the ARJ, if you're trying to picture it, the ARJ is very similar to like the McDonnell Douglas MD-80. Okay. Um, this was like, if you think about it in your mind, this was the plane that didn't have the engines under the wing. They were at the attached to the fuselage at the back of the plane. Okay. And the horizontal stabilizer isn't low. It's like a high T-tail. They call it a T-tail. The horizontal stabilizer is high on the rudder, on the vertical stabilizer. So it's kind of a, a, a plane with some thick. Not really. I've got, I, no? Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking if it, the engines are attached it, to the it, fuselage, it's got like a... It's got a big butt. A big but, butt. That's what I'm thinking about. But the plane's kind of narrow. Okay. If you ever flew American Airlines... Uh, American Airlines used to fly the MD-80. It was the plane that had... Man, two, I'm thinking proportionally. Right. It was a plane that had two seats on one side and three seats on the other. I uh-huh. don't know if you ever yeah, noticed yeah. those. Yeah. I, I did not like flying on those planes. But anyway, the ARJ was very similar to that kind of plane, the MD-80 or DC-9. It might also be known at some points. And like, I mean, it looks very similar to the MD-80. And one of the reasons is that back in 1985... China was the country of China was granted a license to build McDonnell Douglas MD-80s in their in China. They built 20 MD-80s and two MD-90s, which is a modified MD-80. After Boeing merged with McDonnell Douglas, the MD stands for McDonnell Douglas, by the way. After Boeing merged with McDonnell Douglas, Boeing rescinded this agreement and they canceled the program so that China could no longer build MD-80s in country. Why and why? Because they didn't want them. It's just after a merger, you know, they're like that's that was like the last guy's deal. I don't want that anymore, you know. Okay. Plus, also at this point, they might have been phasing them out. It's like, why are we letting them make this old plane? Let's sell them seven thirty sevens instead. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. So the program was canceled. Uh, China refused to return the McDonnell Douglas tooling, <laughs> so they kept the the tooling and the equipment, <laughs> uh, and they <laughs> they used it and the fuselage cross section to design to make the ARJ. So it's like they already kind of had. A lot of the plans, it's like, oh, we'll make our own plane. That's one of the reasons it's speculated the ARJ looks very similar to an MD-80. Because they reused... That's the speculation. Comac claims that they... they sure. That it's their own design. Sure. Created on supercomputers in China, but it really looks like an MD-80. <laughs> I mean, uh, it looks very much like one. Uh, <laughs> and we'll tweak this, there, yeah. and that, and there we go. Done. It's, it's like... Let me copy off your homework. Yeah, but make it look a little different, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so a plane's more than a fuselage. Sure. Right. You know, um, there's all the the avionics, the, you know, um, everything else that goes into the plane, the engines. And a lot of the technology for the ARJ did not come domestically from within China. Uh, you know, up to 70% of the components for the ARJ were sourced from other companies in the West. And they still get sourced? Yeah. Like, so that's, okay. that's just the way that, that it's made, and that's just how it's designed. There's two passenger versions of the ARJ. There's a 90-seater and a 105-seater. So it's not huge, right? Mm-hmm. 90 to, let's say, roughly 100 people. Uh, they also have some freight versions, and it's got a range of 1,200 nautical miles, but it's upgradable if you buy, like, an upgraded version to 2,000 nautical miles. By the end of 2021, 66 aircraft have been delivered to customers, and by the end of 2022, 100 had been delivered. So... 
based on that, it seems in 2022, they made 34 of them. Mm. Nowadays, you know, we're halfway through 2023. It's estimated there's been 111 of them built and they've got 330 orders. So they're really, they're, they're pumping up. Yeah. The, it's, it's slow and steady. It's how, estimated how, they make about 21 to 25 per year. And how many does Boeing make of, of planes just total in a year? I guess not military. Now that I think about it, I mentioned it uh, a little earlier. In 2017, Boeing sold 202 planes to China, and that was a quarter of its deliveries that year. 202 just to China. Right. So you could speculate a little over 800, 808. In fact, I'm looking at the exact number here. In 2017, they delivered 763 planes. Across the... Like everywhere. Okay. Uh, In 2018, it was 806. It seems like there should be more, but I guess that's still a lot of planes. And since planes last for so long... Well, think about it. Like, if you deliver 800 planes in a year, that means you're building over 15 planes a week, which is like... Two planes a, a day. Of, that's okay. a lot of planes. Yeah, when, you, yeah. when you think of it that way, like yeah, you yeah. see the number 800, you're like, that's not very many. Then you think, oh, that's actually physically building two planes a day. That is a lot of planes. That's okay. a lot of planes. So, yeah. So, like I said, they're building about 21, 25 ARJs per year. Not as many, but if you think about it, if you round that up and say 26, that's one every two weeks that they're pumping out. ARJ costs roughly $38 million per jet. And... As we mentioned earlier, China has the most robust high-speed rail system in the world. So regional jets are weird in China because they have to compete with high-speed rail. Mm -hmm. So like the regional jet market is very niche in China because it's like, why would you take this regional jet when you can just take a high-speed rail to where you're going for it? Yeah. Cheaper, probably runs more frequently. Yeah. So maybe if you're just going more obscure places where the high-speed rail doesn't go. Yeah. So that's that's just trying to kind of give context why... The ARJ, even though it doesn't sell very many, like that's maybe one of the reasons why. Has anyone bought any ARJs outside of China? So the only orders for the ARJ are all Chinese companies, with the exception mm-hmm. of General Electric GE, which is presumably for engine testing, the Republic of Congo, and Laos. Laos? Yeah. Uh, a, an airline in Laos purchased. Or has ordered two of them. And wait, why did General Electric buy it? So the branch of General Electric that ordered these planes, they ordered five of them. Hmm, uh, that's a is, lot. It is. It's General Electric Capital Aviation Services, which is a commercial aviation financing and leasing company. So they probably perch, have the orders in order to lease them back to an airline. So if an airline wants to use the plane but doesn't want to buy it, they can lease the plane. Okay. Who, who's... Why, I, I don't This get is very that. common. This happens a lot. Yeah. A lot of airlines might not own a lot of their planes. They lease them from, okay. from, yeah, a, yeah. from a holding company. Are they, it's just like people who in the U, you, you have the option to buy a car, you can lease a car. But are they, are they leasing it? I guess what countries are they leasing these? Are they doing it in China? It's probably being leased back to a, uh, an airline in China. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Is it being, because they, are, they now have this infrastructure and they're like for all these planes, so they probably, right. it's just, okay. And then, like I said, the other ones were, uh, the other countries Laos were Laos, uh, Indonesia, and the Republic of Congo. Okay. Let's see here, Laos, this airline ordered two, uh-huh. Indonesia ordered 10, and the Republic of Congo ordered four. Are these planes cheaper than the equivalent like Airbus or, or Boeing? Airbus like, or Boeing don't really make a direct competitor to this kind of plane anymore. This would be more of a regional jet. You'd be looking at like okay. an Embraer or uh, a CRJ or something. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering, yeah, like if you're like on the, I'm on the plane market and w- what would make you consider buying one, you know? Other than, yeah, like you said, yeah. to serve back to China. Well, we're, we're going to get into that as well. <laughs> all right. So before we get into all of that, I want to talk about the C9, the, the, the next plane that Comac made, uh, the C919. 
because that, that I think is more important to these questions you're asking. Before we talk about the C919, though, I, I, there was a quick note I wanted to give. It's been estimated that, again, a lot of this is, is unknown. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these numbers that I'm, I'm going to give you here, I'll, 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 I'll give you an asterisk and I'll say when, they, when they're speculated because sometimes you don't know. You don't know specifically what budgets are. You don't know how much something costs. So some of these are, are estimates. And it's estimated that COMAC has received between 49 and $72 billion in government aid to get these projects off the ground. Well, I, 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 met, I mean, just the amount of resources it just takes to start. Like we mentioned, like they started at what, 2004? Is that whenever they started working on the... On the ARJ? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they launched the program in 2002. 2002. And, yeah. and it took them like, what, 15 years to get going, really? But, uh, that's like, a lot. Yeah, almost 14 years to get one to fly. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, sunk cost. Like, you have to, a lot of an initial investment. Yeah, making places is expensive. That's why that's, they're expensive to buy. Yeah. And that's why it's largely oh, you, government-backed entities that uh-huh. do these kinds of things. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the C919. So the C919 is bigger than the ARJ. The ARJ, like we said, was a regional jet. The, the C919 is was designed to compete with the Boeing 737 and the Airbus A320. Okay. So like a plane that you would fly almost everywhere. You wouldn't fly this plane necessarily on a long cross-ocean flight, but this is the kind of plane, it's very utilitarian. You fly it all the time. If you go to the airport and you look at passenger planes, it's probably the, the vast majority of them is a 737 or an Airbus A320 of some kind. The goal in developing the C919 was to burn... 15% 15% less fuel, have a spacious cabin, big overhead bins, and more comfortable seating. So basically, it's like, we're going to do everything. Uh-huh. A bigger cabin, bigger seats, big overhead bins. Less fuel. Less fuel. And, and, and then, then... Then like a 737 okay. or an Airbus. Then the competitor. Right. So this is lofty. It's like, we're going to do everything. Yeah. I mean, everything's... When you're actually making aircraft, and if you know, if you have a job, you know, it's like, you may enter a project with the best intentions, but it's like, <laughs> as the project goes, you have to make compromises. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah well, this isn't going to work so well. Things get shuffled around. You can't do good, fast, and cheap. cheap right. You can only do like two of them. Right. So when COMAC initially launched, and I gave that number earlier of the amount of money they've supposedly received from the government, they launched with $3 billion in capital from shareholders, $4 billion from the government, and Shanghai offered guarantees for additional loans. The planned budget for the C919 project was supposed to be $10 billion. Um, the estimated actual budget as of 2015 puts it at about $33 billion. So way over budget. I think $10 billion was very optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, these are estimated. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, the C919 is nearly identical in size to the 737 and the A320. Like, I think this is really a matter of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh-huh. You know, these, these planes are workhorses. These are, you've reached pretty much the optimal size for these. Like, the C919 is just, like, two feet shorter than a 737 MAX 8 and about four feet longer than an A320neo. Like, when you're talking about a plane of these size, like, just a couple of feet difference in the length. The wingspan is five inches less than a 737 MAX 8, and it's the exact same wingspan as an A320neo. <laughs> um, so this, it's really, if you look at these planes and you looked at a C919 right next to them, it would be like, wow, this plane is the exact same yeah. size. It looks very, very identical. You'd have to really have a critical eye and look at small things to be able to differentiate it. So 
development on the C91. So, and the reason I brought up the ARJ first is like that was kind of a stepping stone, right? It's kind of like proof. Can we make okay. a plane? Can we get it to fly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's move now, on to. Let's do for real. Yeah. Most of the time, shaving feels like a chore. It's time-consuming, and if I'm using a cheap razor, which, I mean, let's be honest, the case most of the time, uh, I always end up with a few nicks and cuts by the time I'm done. That's why you got to meet Hanson Shaving. Hanson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the International Space Station and Mars Rover, and now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Uh, think about it like this. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble, the more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure, stable blade with a vibration-free shave. Uh, personally, I don't know about you, my my beard, my facial hair grows in really thick, uh, and it's, it's, it's very difficult to deal with. I always have to make sure I try to get a razor that can handle it and uh, doesn't uh, bend to the will of my thick facial hair. And the Henson razor is absolutely phenomenal. It's great. I used to dread having to actually shave with a razor and, and get that close because it was just constant nicks and cuts. Uh, it's really night and day between uh, Henson and other uh, blades. Uh, and the Henson razor is affordable. Once you buy your first one, it's only about 3 to $5 per year to replace the blades. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash blackboxdown to pick the razor for you and use code blackboxdown. You'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to h-e-n-s-o-n-s-h-a-v-i-n-g.com slash blackboxdown and use code blackboxdown. Kick off the summer with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. In case you don't already know, Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair I've ever worn. Uh, plus, on top of that, Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they'll send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. My Shady Rays are uh, a go-to. Uh, I make sure I have them in my bag at all times, especially now, summer here in Austin. It's super bright, super hot. Got to protect my eyes, and uh, I got to make sure they're always within arm's reach for me. Uh, and if you don't love them, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. So exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use code BLACKBOXDOWN for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people by going to ShadyRays.com and using code BLACKBOXDOWN. There's nothing worse than checking your bank account and seeing you've been charged for a subscription that you forgot to cancel. Or worse is when you try to cancel a subscription, the website makes you double, triple, even quadruple confirm. Yes, you really want to cancel. Uh, scary truth is that over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. So you could be charged for things you aren't using without even realizing. Thankfully, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money quickly finds your subscriptions for you. Uh, and for any you don't want to pay for anymore, you just hit cancel. Rocket Money cancels it for you. It's that easy. They take care of it. Uh, over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Uh, even myself, I was surprised to see stuff that I was still paying for that I forgot about. You know, you just kind of leave it there. It's on autopilot and uh, you forget. Um, but Rocket Money found it for me. It was, a, uh, it was a subscription service I'd forgotten about. And I just had to, had to hit cancel and Rocket Money handle it like 
automatically on its own. So stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. That's rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Let's do the C919. Development started in 2008. So they hadn't really finished the first one. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, that was still in the works. And because remember, 2008 is when Comac spun out from AVIC. So that's probably why they were like, okay, now, now that we're our own thing, yeah, let's, yeah. You know, let's spin up uh, the C919. Uh, production began in December 2011. And the goal was to have a maiden flight in 2014. In 2010, they had reportedly hoped to make 2,300 C919s, uh, aiming to produce 150 planes a year by 2020. So you were asking earlier about how mm-hmm. many per year. Their goal was to make 150 a year by 2020. Canada's Bombardier Aerospace began collaborating in March in 2012, uh, helping them figure out supply chain services, electrical, human interface, cockpit, flight training, flight testing, sales, marketing. It's very complicated. Yeah. A lot going on. However, of course, there were delays. The first prototype didn't roll out until November 2nd, 2015, so about seven years after they started. Mm -hmm. The maiden flight was May 5th, 2017. So three years behind schedule at this point. I guess that's okay. Not bad. It's not bad. Not bad. It's not as... We've talked about way worse lately. Yes. <laughs> so That's where I'm like, my frame of reference, it's not that bad. Yeah. So they started in 28. They were hoping to have a maiden flight in six years. It took them nine. So if you think about it that way, it's like 50% longer than they were expecting. That's kind of yeah. not great. Yeah. But also, it's only three years. Yeah. So even though the maiden flight was May 5th, 2017, the first production one was finally delivered to China Eastern on December 9th, 2022. So it was another five years after that that they finally delivered oh. a finished product. I mean, to granted, China there was Eastern. also COVID there, right? So true. And the reason that I thought to do this episode and to talk about this was that the first commercial passenger flight was just recently. Oh, it was May twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. It was just a couple of weeks ago before wow. we were recording this podcast. And how how did it go? I'm fine, no I'm problems. Fine. Yeah, flew just fine. The cabin was laid out. It's one hundred sixty four seats. Uh, two cabins, got eight seats in business class, 156 in economy. An interesting side note about this plane is that the middle seats are 1.5 centimeters wider than the window and aisle seats. Well. They was like, want to give a compromise. That's actually not a bad, uh, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's like. It's 0.6 inches, by the way. <laughs> That's 1.5 centimeters. Well, it's not much, but, it, but it's a it's little. It's a little something. Yeah. And, and, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, like, I, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, it, it's a slight motivator, or at least, a, yeah. Some it, kind of compensation compen- for yeah, having a certain amount. For having a middle, yeah. Yeah. So, well, all right. It's well, an interesting Good idea. innovation. Right. And that's kind of the thing that I like. Like, I like having this kind of competition. Like, even in video games, right? It's like mm-hmm. Microsoft, uh, Sony, Nintendo. It's like, you want to have different companies in the mix to kind of like innovate and, yeah, yeah, and, and push, push the other, yeah, yeah, push and, the other and, companies. Yeah. That, so, I mean, again, I, generally like more competition, I think is good. Even, even yeah. if it's like from a, a, from a consumer standpoint. Yeah. So we, we mentioned, we very briefly mentioned plane engines earlier. Um, I, I don't expect you really to know any of these. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Chris, but can you name any airplane engine manufacturers? And then for, no, it's a car. It's one of the car, big car, it's not Ferrari, it's, uh, uh what's the, uh, uh car, uh, ben, Benz, 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 no. What is it? It's a car, I know it's <laughs> so, a car. So there's a few. The one you're thinking of is Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce, yeah. that's what I was like. Some of the big ones are uh, GE, uh, Saffron, Rolls-Royce, Pratt & Whitney, um, there's a bunch of different ones. 
Um, the C919 uses what's called the CFM Leap 1C engine. Uh, CFM is a, like a collaboration between GE and Safran. CFM is a very ubiquitous engine. They make engines for all kinds of planes. Um, notice I said it was the 1C engine. Did they have a special... Like... They ha well, they have a 1A and a 1B as well. Okay. The 1A engine is used in the Airbus A320neo. The 1B engine is used in the 737 Max. <laughs> and the 1C engine was developed for uh, the C919. Okay. They're so all like... They're all very similar engines, but they each have their own... They're slightly yeah. tweaked for the specific airframe. Yeah, okay. That to makes make sure sense. It works. Yeah. That being said, the 1C is about 800 kilograms heavier than the 1A. Heavier? Yeah, they, these engines are heavier than the 1A and 1B. There's speculation that CFM didn't want to put their best technology in this engine for fear of it being reverse engineered. So oh. these engines, in, again, that's just like a conspiracy theory. That's well, like, no, but... Yeah, these I engines mean, weight are heavier and don't perform as well as the 1A and 1B. Well, they have like good thrust output. Actually, they don't operate as efficiently as the 1A and 1B do. That, there might, there might be some validity to that. I mean, especially considering that they didn't get back the... Uh, yeah, uh, this is a, <laughs> it's a very thorny issue, but yeah. Um, uh, so just like a little interesting side note, I think here. I mean... And I don't want to get, again, I, I'm not very well informed on it, but doesn't, I mean, China has a, a bit of a history of like taking like stuff, inner, inner, intellectual property. Yeah. They don't like it when you say that, but yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah, but, it, it, but it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's happened. Yeah. And, and that's a, I'm, that seems like a valid yeah. concern. So, so it's theorized that maybe those, this, the leap one C's aren't as good as the one A and one B. Like that's why they're heavier. Anyway, thought it was interesting. It is. Um, so like I said, CFM makes engines, they're very ubiquitous. Uh, as of December 2021, CFM claimed that they powered 72% of the narrow-body jet market. 72% of like narrow-body single-aisle planes are powered by CFM engines. That's a, that's a huge, overwhelming majority. CFM engines as in like, wait, sorry, and, and that's... That's like, for example, the Leap 1A and 1B, they have okay. other engines oh, okay. as well. Oh, yeah, so yeah, so over worldwide... 72% of narrow-body planes are powered by CFM engines. Okay. That's a lot. According to them. Back in February 2020, Reuters reported that the U.S. government was actually considering blocking GE from selling the Leap 1C to COMAC oh. over concerns of reverse engineering, oh. competition for Boeing, and military use of the technology. Oh. Uh, it kind of plays into all of these things we're talking about. Uh, the U.S. eventually did give GE a license to sell the engines uh, in April of 2020. Industry analysts say that China is probably 15 to 20 years behind in engine technology when it comes to developing their own. Mm -hmm. Avic Commercial Aircraft Engine Company was tasked with creating an indigenous engine in 2009, and it's indigenous to China, mm -hmm. uh, the CJ-1000AX. Assembly of the first one was completed in December 2017 with plans for service starting in 2021. As of March 2023, flight testing has started on large military transport aircraft, but they're not really using it outside of testing yet. Mm. So they are working on it. Yeah. Uh, and analysts say they're, they're a little behind, but they just got to catch up. That's the, so kind of the overarching theme here with that engine and with the C919 compared to Airbus and Boeing is when you enter a race late like this, you have to run twice as fast to catch up, right? Yeah. It's like you not only have to innovate and figure things out for yourself, you have to do it at a pace to keep up, but then also to catch up. Yeah, yeah. You have to close that That distance. being said, you do get the benefit of, I don't know, looking, other at, your, looking at other people's homework. Yeah. It's, that's true, but there's a lot 
to be learned, right? It's not just a matter of what yeah. does it look like? What are the specs? What are the dimensions? We can copy that. It's like there's a lot of inherent knowledge and there's a lot of knowledge that's learned by the incidents that we've talked about over the course of this podcast. Yeah, yeah you know? I guess that's true. Like there's, it's constantly all these little fixed. things you can't think about, right? It's like a, a plane gets launched and comes out. It's like, oh, there's this thing we didn't think about. Now we have to fix it. And like there's, it's just an ever evolving um, yeah. culture of there's safety. A lot, there's a lot that can go wrong. Right. But yeah, it's been so refined at this point everywhere else. Yeah. And yeah. it's people's and, lives. And that's the reason I gave the history for Airbus and Boeing at mm -hmm. the top. It's like they've been doing this for decades. You know, Boeing's been around for almost 100 years at this point. You know, Airbus has been around for 50. Comac, you know, uh, they've, they've been around for 15. They're making great strides, but there is a lot to catch up on. Uh, I've heard, I don't know how true this is, but I, I heard recently that Airbus uh, has a, a museum at their headquarters of all of the different crashes that have involved Airbus planes. And when a new employee gets hired, they have to go through there. Oh. Like, that's, so it gets so, reinforced how serious yeah, yeah. your so job the, is. Yeah. Which is, I, I think that's good. I think it's to have the um, frame of mind of, like, embracing failure so that you don't let them happen. Right. Yeah. You, and, like, you... I think you have to respect the the, the responsibility you have. Yeah. No, in, that's in actually really... That's good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so by January of 2023, Comac had reported 1,200 orders for the C919. Uh, and like I said earlier, they wanted to expand their production capacity to be able to orders. make... I'm sorry? 1,200 orders. Right. And, uh, how many of those are in, in China? Good question. I'll, I'll answer that in a <laughs> second. Uh, like, and like I said, they want to expand their capacity to be able to make 150 aircraft a year within the next five years. So they know that it's going to take a little while to catch up, but they're hoping to expand their, their production to be able to make more, more quickly. So you asked how many of those orders are domestic. Pretty much all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll dive into that a little more here in just a bit. Uh, but I think all of the orders are domestic within China. There may be some outliers. Uh, I, I think, again, I don't, I don't know definitively, but I think I've, I'm trying to remember. I think, again, like a leasing, leasing companies may have leased them for the purposes of leasing them back to air, airlines. But I think it's overwhelmingly uh, Chinese companies. So their goal, Comac's goal, is to take a fifth of the global narrow body market and a third of the Chinese market by 2035. They expect 2,000 sales in the next 20 years. So they're really gunning, gunning for, for it, right? Yeah. They, they want to take a fifth of the world and a third of China. So they know they're going to start more in China. They're going to try to, to skew more heavily. And that makes sense, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of, it's not like an overwhelming, per, like, a, like a mandate of any kind, but I do, I do think a lot of American-based airlines try to buy Boeing when they can. A lot of European-based airlines try to buy Airbus when they can. But at the end, it's still a financial decision, right? You're still going to look at your mm -hmm. the, the quotes and, you know, what makes the most sense to operate. And you're still going to try to... These are businesses. They're still going to try to make money. You might probably get into this. How's their history of, like, boo-boos? Well, they have made so few aircraft that they haven't had any incidents yet. Wow. But that still good. Yeah. That's fine. But like we said, the C919 just had its first flight okay. a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So yeah. it's, it's just now entering service. Um, remember how we mentioned earlier that when you start late, you have to like, um, you have to run twice as fast. Yeah. Catch, like not just to maintain pace, but then to catch up. Here's a problem. Yeah. The C919 took so long to develop. Is it outdated already? Yeah. In the intermediate time while it was being developed and launched, uh, Airbus launched the A320neo and Boeing launched the 737 Max. So it's like they already iterated and introduced their next generation of planes. Comac was competing with the previous generation of planes. 
So oh. the C919 is already kind of like a step behind, even already out the door uh, and launching. So much like the engines in China, the C919 is essentially 10 to 15 years outdated. Wow. Compared to the latest offerings from Airbus and Boeing. And it's so much money to develop. It's so much money. Yeah, so that's why you like, you have, you have to start somewhere, I yeah. guess. And it's like, this is where you start. And it's like, now you got to, now that you have a working airframe, now you, like the 737 Max and the A320neo, they're not new planes. They're just iterations and new versions of planes that already existed. So now it's just a matter of, we got to make the C919 better. We got to come up with an updated version to compete with these newer versions. Like putting it into golly, and they they just started they, flying. They just came out. It's already outdated. Like for comparison, the A three twenty Neo began delivering in twenty sixteen, and the seven thirty seven Max began delivering in twenty seventeen. You know, slowly, yeah. but they ramped up very quickly, and so the competition was changed for the C nine one nine. It's not even out yet. You know, they're just doing their maiden flight, and they're already behind. For comparison. The Max currently has, the 737 Max currently has 5,390 orders, of which 1196 have been delivered. The A320neo has 8,754 orders, of which 2,791 have been delivered. So these, Airbus and Boeing are operating on a much higher scale. Higher scale and, and newer. Right. Yeah. You know, we mentioned the crashes of the 737 Max before. Uh -huh. You know, China was the first country that grounded the 737 Max after those crashes, and okay. then the rest of the world followed suit. Uh, and they were the last country to unground the 737 MAX. They, they, they kind of didn't really make a big deal out of it. They ungrounded the 737 MAX in January of 2023 after four years. Uh, the FAA had cleared the MAX for service again in November 2020. Canada and Europe cleared the MAX for service in 2021, so China kept them on the ground a few years longer. Um, who knows? It's like out of... It could be spurred yeah. from that trade war we talked about. There's maybe a lot of reasons why. And I believe Boeing's even sitting on 150 737 Maxes that are intended for Chinese customers that haven't been delivered because of this trade war. Mm. So, Man, that's a lot of planes to be sitting on. Right. A lot of money. And then we talked about that. They haven't turned a profit since 2018. It's like, is this all yeah, starting yeah. To, to piece together? You know, I, I will say this. this. This might be a bit of a tangential thing. I saw um, a video talking about China's uh, um, electric vehicles and mm -hmm. how there there are just like fields of new cars that are just sitting because, really yeah that they just it's it's a combination of like companies like you know basically buying buying them from themselves and to oh. try and hit numbers and then also to get like uh, uh, rebates from the government and mm -hmm. things like that I don't know I mean I'm, there's a lot of reasons why it could be but I saw a video where it's just like a drone flying over just fields of new cars. Mm. And same thing with like electric bikes and stuff like that. There's certain, so I, again, I, I don't think they would do that with planes, but there's also some like, I've heard, and some of this like speculation, just some like fudgy number stuff come about those things that are from China. And because it's it's not like a free market, it's they, they can get away with some more fudgy hmm. numbery stuff. So I don't know, just, yeah, uh, I yeah, I don't know that how that would play in with planes. Planes are much yeah. not only a higher yeah. dollar amount, but they're also physically so big. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's 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 difficult to do that. Um but kind of somewhat related to that, you were asking earlier like where all these orders were from if it was only Chinese companies. Uh Ryanair is the only western airline that has expressed interest in the C919. 
they signed an agreement to cooperate on development of the C919 in June of 2011. I don't know what that means. It's like they haven't really said anything or done more since then. Ryanair is like a low cost uh, airline yeah. based out of Ireland. I believe yeah. it's based out of Ireland. Um, but they haven't purchased, they haven't committed to buy any, they haven't placed any orders. Just they're the only airline that's really shown, really talked about it. Yeah. Possibly being interested. I should say the only airline outside of China. So the C919 can seat between 158 to 192 passengers, has a range of about 2,200 miles, and they have an extended range version that has a range of about 3,000 miles. Nautical miles, of course. For comparison, the range of the A320neo is about 3,400 nautical miles, and the range of the 737 MAX is between 3,300 and 3,850 nautical miles. So they, they can go further. <laughs> um, well, again... What you, like you said, 15, 20 years out of date. Yeah, it's a little behind. I think I said 10, 15. Maybe okay. not as far as, not, okay. as bad, not as bad as 20, but definitely out of date. Uh, that being said, the cost of a C919 is roughly around $99 million uh, compared to a Max 8, which costs around $120 million, oh. and an A320neo, which costs $110 million. So a good bit cheaper? It's a little bit cheaper, but it's not as cheap as they wanted it to be. Hmm. Like, you know, the 10 to $20 million, that's a lot of money. But from an airline perspective, you have the infrastructure of all those other planes and you're like, Chris, you read my mind. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, you might be saving the cost on the plane itself, but then you're going to have to get the cost. It's going to be made up other places. Right. And that's, here's the real problem that they're facing is Airbus and Boeing have been around for so long. They have an infrastructure to everywhere, right. To get parts, to get support to get people, to get maintenance, you know, everything you need worldwide. If you're on an Airbus or a Boeing plane, you're set. Yeah. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. If you're on this <laughs> Comac C919 and you're flying it and you have a problem in South America, it's like, oh, well, uh, we don't have parts. Like Comac doesn't have- You're going to have to like get them shipped from China. Yeah, right. They're going to FedEx something yeah. like- It's the, airplane parts. Some of them are really big. <laughs> right. Like it, it just, it's just, there's a logistic back end that I think a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. That um, they need to build out. So that could be why I think the initial steps are smart for them, right? It's like focus on a China market, get your infrastructure built up, learn how to get everything moved around, and then start and then slowly expand, expanding. And, and, yeah, and, and once you have that infrastructure, then you can, when things come up, you can quick, more quickly address right. things. Yeah. It's not just a matter of we built a plane and sold it to them, you know, dust our hands off, <laughs> we're done. You know, No, there's a lot of after-sale after things, post-sale things that need to be done. So, you know, besides the C919, um, they have plans to, it's, it's very limited knowledge at this time, but they also want to build a bigger version called a, a C929, well, actually, it's a CRAIC929, stands for China Russia Commercial Aircraft International Corporation Limited. They want to do a joint venture with uh, Russia uh -huh. to build a, a bigger version called a C929. They also want to build an even bigger version called a C939 to compete with, like, the really big planes. But... Aviation industry's kind of changed. I don't know if that's really necessarily smart. Yeah, because we talked about this at some point about, yeah, the, those big, big planes, they just don't really have a market. Right. Like the A380, they stopped making already. Maybe they, I think what they want to compete with, what they're trying to position it is like competition with like a 777 or an A350, but you only sell so many of those, right? Like your big money's on your smaller planes, like a 737. But I guess, again, to like, if you want to, build up that infrastructure other places you kind of have to maybe offer all the tiers so yeah. that that someone could be like well i could it's a full service shop i don't have to buy one plane of this type and then two other 
from right. Boeing. Right? Yeah, in the same yeah. place. Uh, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I had a side note here. I wasn't sure I was going to talk about it, but you segued me perfectly into it. <laughs> I had skipped over it right now, <laughs> but I scrolled back up to get to it. There was an airline based out of Mexico uh-huh. called Interjet. They had been around for a while. They they ultimately they folded in late 2020, probably pandemic related. But they tried to operate Russian Sukhoi aircraft between 2012 and 2020. We talked about a Sukhoi superjet at one point uh, in one of our episodes. Mm-hmm. It cra- like they got lost in a test fl- in a like a demonstration flight over Indonesia and they crashed into a mountain. Okay, yeah, I remember. So that's what Interjet tried to use. They tried to use a Sukhoi superjet, um, but they had tons of problems because they had tr- difficulty getting parts. They had difficulty getting support. That um, just ended up being this logistic nightmare for them. They ended up like, having to cannibalize some planes to keep other planes operational. Um, mm. So I think between those problems and then COVID slowdown in 2020, they just ended up folding. And I think that's a large cautionary tale for a lot of airlines. It's like if you can save money on the initial purchase, yeah. right? But what's going to happen afterwards? Yeah. You know, is that is that company going to be there to give you the parts and the support you need? Which is why even though Russia does have a very robust aviation industry, you never really heard much about many people ordering them, especially now in the wake of um, the yeah. war. Like, I think that's all really shut down. But yeah. even, before even before the war, yeah. you know, like, not many people operated uh, Russian manufactured planes. Hmm. Anyway, that was my side note. So <laughs> I thought you segued into that perfectly. Um, and we talked earlier about like stealing intellectual property and espionage. And there have been very serious allegations of espionage on behalf of or laid against the Chinese government uh, in trying to build their aviation industry up. Uh, In 2019, four people were arrested in the United States on espionage charges. Oh. And in November of 2022... Were they Chinese citizens or American citizens? Well, I can speak to one specifically. Okay. This was a Chinese citizen. His name was uh, Yan Junshu. In November of 2022, he was convicted on counts of conspiracy to commit economic espionage, conspiracy to commit trade secret theft, attempted economic espionage, and attempted trade secret theft. The U.S. court found that he played a key role in a plot to steal trade secrets from Western aerospace firms for the purpose of helping the C-919 commercial airliner program. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. There's a documentary series that I think their first episode just came out yesterday on TV. I haven't watched it yet. That it talks a lot about this. Yeah. And I guess what they were doing was they were contacting engineers who worked like at GE, for example, uh-huh. via LinkedIn and saying things like, hey, we're having an aerospace conference in China. Would you like to come give a talk? And, you know, the engineers would agree to do it. Yeah. And then they would take material that they shouldn't be taking to give in the presentation. Like... They would, there's material that you need permission from the U.S. government in order to take it out of the country. And they were just like loading it up on USB drives, going, giving their talk. One of them... Wait, wait, wait. They were doing... The presenters were doing this right. like... Just like, oh, yeah, they're inviting me to go give a talk. I'm going to go give this talk. Like that thinking about what it is that they're taking. One of the presenters left a USB drive with all the secrets in, you know, at the university he was giving the talk at in China. You know, he asked to, if they could send it back to him and they never did. So it's oh, like my. stuff like that. Yanjin Shu is one of those people who contacted, I believe the he contacted a GE engineer, I want to say out of Cincinnati it was, and flew him out to China. Um, it's, it's a whole... And how did, he, how, did, how did he get caught in the U.S.? Was he in the U.S., I guess? Well, I think what happened... Because uh, I imagine yeah, they wouldn't extradite him. I think <laughs> what, what happened was um, the FBI got in t- contact with that GE engineer, uh, had him 
almost act like a double agent, feed information to Yan Junshu, arrange a meeting with him. I think it was in Brussels oh, to like exchange oh, more information, mm. got him to come up in Brussels, and then they arrested him in Brussels, brought him to the United wow. States, and that's how they're trying him. So yeah, it's like like a spy movie kind of stuff yeah. is, is going on here. Um, so the United States government alleges that there is espionage going on and that secrets are being stolen. Uh, well, you say alleged. This guy was convicted, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, unless... It, yeah. I guess there's no there's no beating around that. There, he definitely was convicted, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Um, in January of 2021, the Trump administration added COMAC to a list of companies that supported China's military. This meant that companies would be subject to uh, a ban on U.S. new U.S. investment, which forced American investors to divest their holdings of these blacklisted firms. Oh, uh, the Biden administration issued a new list which removed COMAC. So, COMAC's been Kind of the, the U.S. government has their eye on them. Uh huh. So I'm curious to see how this all plays out and where this all goes. I and, think, and, and they even split up purposefully, right, to try to remove to, to, themselves. To remove, from the yeah. Mm. I think that um, we're going to see. I think China's China's committed to making this work. I think um, even if they lose a lot of money in the short term, I think they're going to keep working on this. And I think I don't know if we'll ever reach a point where. American Airlines or United are going to be flying Comac planes. But I think, you know, we are going to reach a point where we're going to see them, um, mm. you know, flying around various countries in the world. And uh, I'm really curious to see how quick that happens and yeah. how that all plays out. So that's why I, this is kind of like, this whole episode is just kind of setting the stage. You know, this is just so you learn what's happening about Comac. So when you see it in the future, you <laughs> know, like, oh, I know what that is. I know how all this happened. Yeah. Uh, I know the story behind this. Uh, but that's it. That's really all I have about Comac and the development of the C919. It's been really interesting looking into all of this. There's so many like little twists and turns. And I mean, I think the innovation of having a bigger middle seat is kind of cool. <laughs> I hope we see more of that. Uh, I would like to see other, you know, other new, fresh ideas like that. That's a really cool idea. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up, I did also want to talk about uh, you and I had an opportunity to visit uh, air traffic control here in Austin mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was a kind of a long process to get that organized, but we finally managed to go there. Uh, we, you know, I reached out through the FAA and, and found someone and we were able to, to go there. They didn't allow any photos or video, obviously, you know, yeah. it makes sense that they don't want anyone doing that. But, you know, we had, uh, someone take us through, show us like the simulation that they train on. We got which to, is cool, which is really cool seeing the simulation and then seeing the real thing. Yeah. Then we walked into yeah. the room where like the actual controllers were and. Um, you know, everyone, you know, looking at the radar and talking to everyone, you know, talking to all the planes and I don't know, it, it, it doesn't, well, I, that part of the control, like when we were, you know, uh, looking with those controls, it doesn't look like a movie. Like there's those people aren't in a tower. Yeah. Like well, there's like in a dark room. Yeah. Well, it looks like a movie in a different way. Right. Like it looks like a submarine set. Yeah. That's what I kept thinking. <laughs> I felt like, you know, like, uh, uh, hunt for red October. It was yeah. like a dark room and everyone's just, you know. Uh, huddled over a screen and talking. Yeah. And uh, it was really interesting to see. And then, you know, we got to go up into the tower, which is a lot more like what you would see in a movie. You mm-hmm. know, it's got windows everywhere. You could see really far from the really, tower. Really, really far. Um, I mean, that's the point, but... Yeah. But, and, and yeah, I was talking about, like, how crazy far you can see, but it's like, oh, yeah. And you, I think you mentioned, it's like, there's regulations about building stuff in the area. Right. That... So that they can see. Right, yeah. So that they can they can have a, a, a view of everything going on. And it wasn't just like the airport. It was like, you could see like way off oh, into yeah. the distance. 
even though it was hazy that day, like we still really, we still see really far. The whole thing was, was, was really neat. Um, you know, really get to see all the behind the scenes, how everything works, got to see people actually doing the work. The, um, the person who gave us the tour, you know, talked about what a great job it is, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing I've posted on social media for us before. I don't know if we've ever talked about it in an episode, but it's like, if you ever see the opportunity to apply to be an air traffic controller, you should absolutely do it. Yeah. Especially if you're young. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is you have to be, I think 31 or younger when you yeah. apply, uh, because, uh, there's a mandatory retirement age of 56 and, you know, they want to get 25 years of work out of you. And the thing I learned was the way that their shifts work. Now they were telling us how they'll spend 90 minutes on doing air traffic control and then it's a 30 minute break. Yeah, they have to take right. the break. Let's take a 30 minute break. And they have like a bunch of different things for people to do to take their mind off of work. Mm-hmm. Like they said, he said they could play video games, watch movies. I think we saw a couple of guys going out to play basketball. Yeah. Um, and then so they take a 30 minute break and then it's back for another hour and a half. Because it's, it's you know, it's really taxing, right? It's mm-hmm. not like you could sit you there at work. You have to be focused. Right. You can't pull your phone out. Yeah. You can't browse the internet or do something else. Like you are 100% focused on the task at hand. Uh, and you want to make sure that that it, you're still really sharp, but I mean, really, the the guy who gave us the tour, you know, said that they're always looking for people. You know, that another interesting he an interesting thing he said was that you know the, he's seen people show up to try to be air traffic controllers that have you know college education, master's degrees, and they can't do it. And sometimes you know someone will show up with like a high school degree. It's like you, some, you, you yeah, you don't need any degree. You don't need college, right? You just have. The, get qualified through the... Yeah, I think you need a high school degree. Okay. And he said, you know, some guy will show up with no college experience at all and be like the best air traffic controller in the world. So yeah. he, he, he said he, he's been doing it for a long time. I think he'd been, he was close to his 25 years, if I remember yeah. right, that um, there's just like some X factor in some people. Yeah, so where, certain ways people's brains work really great in it and some people's don't. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. It's like, if you think like, oh, I didn't go to college, like if you're down on yourself, like I'm not smart, I can't do that. It's like, you, you might be able to, like, you see, maybe your brain just like organizes things in a certain yeah. way that you can look at it all and do it yeah. all. You don't know if maybe you didn't do good traditionally in school, but you might have it, just because, yeah, it, it's not all about grades. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with 25, the, the other guy, I know I keep saying this, but like another thing that I thought was really fascinating was how they talked about how like after 25 years you retire. It's like if you start when you're 20, 22, you could be <laughs> retired before you're 50. That's crazy. And like the retirement uh, options he talked about were like really good. Like they really take care of you. It's like, you can make a whole 25 career out of this. If I'd been doing air traffic control instead of rooster teeth, I'd almost be ready to retire, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be almost there. It just seems so great. Plus, uh, if you're an aviation enthusiast, if you're a plane nerd like me, uh, it might be right up your alley. Like, uh, like I think I, after that, after that tour, I thought, man, why did I do this? Why did, why did I, I, should, I should have been an air traffic controller. And the other, it's like, you don't take your work home with you. Yeah. Like a lot of jobs, it's like, oh, I got to answer email at home. My boss is calling me. When did me. I send you an email last night? You, you sent me an email at 11.51 last night. <laughs> um, but it's like, what are you going to do? You can't work, can't do air traffic control from yeah. home. No one's going to call you like, hey, did you work on the whatever file? Or Yeah. No. It's like, you go home and your, your work stays at work. Oh yeah, it's 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 it was super interesting. Um, I think I don't know if you can visit every tower. I didn't. We didn't get this opportunity because of this podcast. Yeah, like this was just me contacting the FAA and contacting the Austin Airport. They didn't. Even, they didn't even know that we do. No, had, we didn't mention the podcast yeah. at all. They they asked, "So what are y'all doing this for?" Yeah. And 
I just said I'm a pilot, and which is true. Like I'm, yeah. I wanted to, to learn how it, it works. Like, oh, we're, I'm just here because I'm curious and yeah. I- I- interested in seeing it. So I'm, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you can do that at every tower, but I mean, I, I assume they're all different. If you're curious about that kind of thing, you know, do some googling. See if you can find a contact and arrange your own tour to see your own facility wherever it is that you live. Yeah, if, especially if you're potentially interested in this kind of career. Yeah, if you want to see what it's actually like, you might be able to. You know. Um, Again, I don't know that you could do that everywhere, but do some Googling. Maybe you'll be yeah. able to find out too. That's a long episode. We went, we've been going for quite a while here. That's it. Not only for this episode, for this podcast. Yeah. You know, I think we, we both, well, I know we both have other projects that we're working on that we're hoping to launch soon. Not as soon as we initially, we, a little, a little delayed. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, we, we got busy with some other projects that we're also very excited about. Yeah. But this has been, I think, my favorite project I've worked on. Uh, in all the 20 years of, I've been doing Rooster Teeth stuff. This was really a passion project the whole time. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to make sure that we ended this podcast at a point where I was happy with all the episodes we did. I didn't want to reach a point where we're like, eh, we're kind of rehashing stuff mm-hmm. or this one really isn't that interesting. Uh, so I always had like a goal in my mind. filled it. Yeah. I mean, there, of course, there were some more episodes that I think would have been nice to touch on and to get to. I'm not saying... Never say never. Right, never say never. We maybe will do like a reunion. Maybe we'll do an occasional episode every now and then. No promises. I don't. We don't have any plans to do that. But hey, maybe if we're bored and we have a little extra free time, <laughs> we can talk about some of those that I never got to. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say a few, but I'm going to save them. Okay. Just yeah, in, yeah. Just in case. I would like to say thank you to everyone who's listened. Yeah. And, this, and supported the show and supported us. And even... More so the people who listen to this show and then decide to try out our other content. That, that or, and, and if you're thinking about doing that now, that'd be awesome yeah. as well. We have Tales from the Stinky Dragon, which is our D&D podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is available. It's basically a comedy podcast. You don't have to uh, know anything about D&D right. or even like D&D. Right. Uh, it's really just about making each other laugh. And uh, well, then one of the other things I wanted to say was that one of the other goals of this podcast was to make it evergreen. Mm-hmm. Like the, you, these aren't necessarily topical. Like if you know someone who likes aviation or is into it tomorrow, next year, next week, next month, next year, you can still recommend this podcast to them. Yeah. Like all of this stuff is still relevant. All of, yeah. this, all of these episodes are still informative to someone who's interested in these kinds of things. So I think that it's uh, this podcast, even though we may not be regularly making new episodes, it's still something that people can still listen to. And, and t- yeah, and tell their friends and family about. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, yeah, but yeah, like Chris said, huge thanks to everyone who listened. This podcast was way more popular than I thought it would ever be. I thought we would just get like a handful of people to listen to it and we'd do like 10 or 20 episodes and <laughs> we, we would get canceled. But instead, you know, uh, we had tens of thousands of people listening and uh, got to go for as long as we wanted to go, which I think is is amazing. Yeah. And- uh yeah, that's it. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. Chris, oh, for thank listening you. No, along thank, and learning thank, with me over the last you, three Gus, years. You remember taking me along. You remember the car company made, pl- made jet engines. <laughs> um, just in terms of like stuff to follow, if people want to continue to uh, listen stuff and what we're doing, I mean. I, I would say Tales from the Stinky Dragon is the big tells, one right yeah. now. Search for it wherever you get podcasts. We have tons of fun with that. I think that podcast is more popular than Black Box Down now. <laughs> 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 Black Box Down uh, was definitely... Uh, beating Stinky Tales from the Stinky Dragon for a long time. I think Tales from the Stinky Dragon is beating Black Box down now. Uh, so so, so, it, so if you're thinking about listening to it, get on the band. Yeah, <laughs> band jump <life>. on. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, that and um, just at roosterteeth.com, we'll make a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then always, yeah, on our social media, we have yeah. Black Box Down and then personal Gusterola or... I, I don't, I, you I don't do use social media anymore. Okay. I'm done with it. I'm You're an old done? man now, Chris. <laughs> well, I'm Chris Damaris <laughs> on everywhere on social media. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Bye.